This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton, and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Good morning on this Wednesday, February 15th. You're listening to WNBF. An urgent project to secure the upper portion of a historic Binghamton structure after the partial collapse of a parapet wall may take weeks to complete. Several bricks fell from the roof area of the five-story structure at 23 Henry Street last Thursday. No injuries were reported when the bricks landed on a sidewalk and along State Street near the entrance to Burger Monday's restaurant. A section of State Street and the sidewalk on the west and south sides of the building have been closed by city officials because of safety concerns. The top four floors of the structure are filled with student apartments, although some of the units are unoccupied. Tim Moran of Foundation Housing, the Syracuse area rental company that operates the property, said the building owners have been working with city officials to coordinate the project. A wall has been erected around the work site and protective scaffolding also has been put into place over the restaurant entrances. The dining area and bar at Burger Mondays have been closed since the bricks fell. The business has been providing takeout service for customers who call in their order. Owner Matthew Jones hopes the business will soon be able to reopen for regular operations. Moran said repair work on the building initially will focus on the State Street side. He said an 80-foot boom lift is expected to arrive at the site today. Moran said he hopes the job can be completed by the end of March. He said the work schedule could be affected by the weather. A Binghamton businessman's dream of building an office and apartment complex downtown is over. Mark Yanadi had given up on a, developing a project on the southeast corner of Court and State Street. Yanadi originally planned a multi-story structure where the O'Neill and Ross buildings once stood. The site has been vacant for nearly 15 years. In December 2021, Yanadi told city officials that he expected Vision's Federal Credit Union would be an anchor tenant in a scaled-down project. Things didn't turn out that way, Yanadi had hoped. Speaking on WMBF Radio Tuesday, he said it's a bit of a heartbreaker for me. He said he considers the spot to be the best and busiest intersection in downtown Binghamton. United said Visions reevaluated its business operations in the aftermath of the pandemic, and they decided it wasn't in their best interest to occupy the planned building. When Ianati acquired the property from the city for $75,000, the agreement called for the project to be substantially complete by the end of this year. With the clock ticking, Ianati said it didn't seem possible to make this happen without a committed anchor tenant. In Broome County Court, Vance Murray, age 24 of Binghamton, was sentenced to two years in New York State Prison, followed by two years post-release supervision, after pleading guilty to felony attempted criminal possession of a weapon in the second degree. Murray admitted that on March 26th in the village of Endicott, he illegally possessed a loaded 9mm pistol. Endicott police officers conducted a stop of a motor vehicle in which Murray was a passenger for a traffic violation in the area of Vestal Avenue and East Main Street in the village of Endicott. One of the occupants of the vehicle had an active warrant and was taken into custody. Murray was found to be in possession of a 9mm handgun in his backpack. Michael Korchak, Broome County District Attorney, said our local law enforcement is doing an outstanding job taking illegal guns off our streets. Though Defendant Murray had no prior felony convictions, criminals should be on notice that if you possess an illegal gun in Broome County, you will go to prison. On February 12th, Broome County Sheriff's Office deputies conducted a routine traffic stop on Old Front Street in the town of Dickinson that led to the arrest of John Turner, a 45-year-old man from the town of Dickinson, on multiple drug possession and other charges. After being stopped for an expired vehicle inspection, Turner fled from sheriff's deputies on foot toward a parking lot storm drain where he allegedly attempted to dispose of a large amount of methamphetamine crystals. Deputies successfully subdued Turner and recovered 11.3 grams of methamphetamine in a ripped plastic clear bag on his person. 
Deputies believe Turner had also attempted to consume a large portion of the narcotics he was carrying and contacted emergency medical services for a medical evaluation. Turner was then transported to Binghamton General Hospital for further evaluation, and a Broome County Sheriff's Office deputy rode with him in the ambulance. As a result of the incident and subsequent investigation, John Turner was charged with criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree, criminal possession of a controlled substance in the fifth degree, tampering with physical evidence, and obstructing governmental administration in the second degree. McDonald was also issued traffic tickets for an expired vehicle inspection and unlicensed operation of a motor vehicle. Upon discharge from Binghamton General Hospital, Turner was processed and issued an appearance ticket to answer for his charges in the town of Dickinson Court. A white supremacist is set to be sentenced to life in prison for killing 10 black people at a Buffalo supermarket. Peyton Gendron is scheduled to appear Wednesday in Erie County Court, where he pleaded guilty in November to charges including murder and domestic terrorism motivated by hate. The terrorism charge carries an automatic life sentence. Relatives of several victims are expected to speak during the hearing. Gendron shot 13 people and three survived the May 14th attack specifically seeking out black shoppers and workers. Gendron also faces separate federal charges that could carry a death sentence if the U.S. Justice Department chooses to seek it. Thousands of New York State employees will be eligible for 12 weeks of fully paid parental leave starting Tuesday under a new policy from Governor Kathy Hochul's administration. The policy covers more than 10,000 non-unionized state employees, including managers and administrative support workers. It covers parents of adopted and foster children as well. Administration officials said they will work to expand the policy to cover more than 170,000 unionized state employees through collective bargaining. The Hochul administration called the Paid Parental Leave Initiative nation-leading among the patchwork of federal, state, and local leave policies. Rare and in some cases never-before-publicly-seen video of the 1986 dive through the wreckage of the Titanic is being released by the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. The more than 80 minutes of footage on the institution's YouTube channel today chronicles some of the remarkable achievements of the dive led by Robert Ballard. The expedition marked the first time human eyes had seen the giant ocean liner since it struck an iceberg and sank in the frigid North Atlantic on its maiden voyage from Southampton, England to New York City in April 1912. About 1,500 people died. National Weather Service forecasts for downtown Binghamton. Today, cloudy, then gradually becoming mostly sunny with a high near 61, wind gusts as high as 32 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low near 41. Tomorrow, showers likely mainly after 1 p.m. Mostly cloudy with a high near 56 degrees, a 70% chance of rain. Tomorrow night showers, a low near 43 degrees, wind gusts as high as 33 miles per hour, an 80% chance of rain. And Friday, a chance of rain and snow showers before 1 p.m., then a slight chance of snow showers between 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. Cloudy with a high near 45 degrees, chance of rain 40%. Friday night, mostly cloudy, a low near 18 degrees. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. News Radio 1290, WMBF. Bob Joseph. Cannot see out of reach 
WNBF, the phones now are open, 607-772-1290. What's on your mind on this Wednesday morning? Radio. I mean, hi, it's just a talk show. But if you like hit music. <laughs> and welcome aboard to my world and lovely, lovely Wednesday in progress. We uh, are now entering the second half of my favorite month of the year, February. So we made it through the first half of February in fine fashion. And I trust the rest of the month will be as fantastic as the first two weeks were. What else is going on here? Let me uh, open up the email here. Uh-huh. We can do that. I've got a good story for you. I've got a good story for you, which is interesting. And... I will look into that. Let's see. Oh, there's another good story coming up today. Looks like this will be a busy Wednesday. What else? Oh, Tioga County. Hmm. Good morning, Tioga County. Tioga County. Good morning to our friends there. Um, hmm. Baseball news. Yeah. Pitchers and catchers reporting to Port St. Lucie. Oh, here's one. A weight loss scam. Send $99.99 by midnight tonight for a weight loss scam. What else is going on here? <laughs> I'm not surprised about that story. Ooh, there's a story that must be explored. What else? We have a lot on our plate. Oh, that's amazing. Anyway, enough of me perusing email on the air. Let's see. Over at WNBF.com, my favorite Binghamton News website. And we did do a story. It's confirmation of, uh, sadly, what was expected, that the uh, 
effort over the course of almost a decade to develop a mixed-use building, some commercial or retail on the street level, and then apartments above at uh, the corner of Court and State Streets. That plan that had basically been a dream of developer Mark Yanati, uh, that will not come to fruition, as Mr. Yanati mentioned on our program Tuesday. So we have some information about the whole thing on our website, WNBF.com. There's a picture there from 2017 of Mayor Richard David and Mark Yanati at the site. I remember Mayor David at times was very enthusiastic about the project. Originally, there was talk that it could be a, a five-story or maybe even a seven-story building. But again, now that, that plan won't become a reality. Now we'll see what happens with uh, well, the current people at City Hall. It's in their hands, so we expect great things. So maybe we'll get an announcement from City Hall this morning about the the next chapter of uh, what will, again, become a a city-owned lot. So the city is in the process, I believe, of buying back the property from Mark Yanati. He paid $75,000 for it in December 2021. So now, as part of the terms of that deal... The city can buy it back, and then we'll see what current city officials can do, a kind of development, because that's a, it's a very important spot downtown. Also at WNBF.com, we have a new story, basically covering some stories right in our neighborhood, as it happens um, at the moment, with uh, a story. Street closure, part of State Street, recently reconstructed State Street, is closed again because of emergency repair work at the Burger Mondays building. I love that building. Beautiful building. And as Jerry Smith had mentioned last Friday, and originally was home to a Binghamton newspaper. The Binghamton Republican operated at that building, I believe starting around 1880. So it's, it's a wonderful building, five-story building, architecturally very interesting. But as often is the case with old structures, there can be challenges. And certainly when you have several bricks falling onto the sidewalk and into the street, that's a challenge that needs to be addressed. And as our story indicates, it is being addressed, and that emergency repair work could actually take several weeks. So if you want more information about that story, you can check it out now on our website, WNBF.com. It's 919, Bob Joseph on WNBF. Miller Motors on the Parkway in Vestal, directly across from Binghamton University. They are there to serve you. Monday through Saturday. So if you have need for a new vehicle, a late model used vehicle, 
Perhaps uh, you're in the market for a new Honda or a new Hyundai. Stop in and visit with members of the Miller Auto Team. Right now, every available in-stock new and used car is tagged. They call it the tag sale. It continues through the end of the month. So you should venture in today or tomorrow or maybe Saturday to see what they have in store for you. You get a good deal on a dependable car, whether it's a previously owned car, something that will be dependable because inevitably more snow and ice will greet us before the end of winter. So you probably want a decent vehicle to muddle through whatever we face between now and May. Miller Auto Team, Parkway 4455 Vestal Parkway East. They can satisfy all your vehicle needs. And if you want more information, check their website, MillerAutoTeam.com. I'm Bob Joseph Live. This is WNBF 92.1 FM, 12.90 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app. WNBF Live with Bob Joseph. We go to the town of Dickinson. Good morning, Beverly. What's up? Oh, nothing much. Except it's a nice day out. You should go over to the um, Otsuningo Park for a walk. That sounds nice. It sounds nice. I got, I got to go someplace first. I got an appointment, so I, I, I'm going to that. I might do that. All right. Well, I might be over at Otsuningo Park later today, so keep an eye out for me. Yeah. Uh, so, anything special going on this weekend? Hmm. Mm. Trying to think. Uh, there is. is. Supposed to, is there supposed to be a snow on Friday? I think uh, Joe Sobel said yes. Hold on. Let me just oh, check. Oh, boy. Let me just check. I think it's going to be snowtastic, yes. Uh, snowtastic. Oh. Snowtastic um, on Friday. Snow showers. Snow showers on Friday and also snow showers on Friday night. So, yeah. But it doesn't say oh. anything about accumulation, so I don't think it's going to be. Yeah, well, I was just, I was just wondering. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. How's your dog? How's your doggies doing? Oh man, they're happy. I've never seen them so yeah. happy. Yeah, yeah, they're oh. they seem. You know what they um, they've sensed that spring is just around the corner, especially with the weather the way it is this week. Because this morning it felt like spring. I actually I didn't have too much time, but I spent a couple of minutes out on the deck while they were out playing in the backyard. To me, it felt like uh, a spring preview this morning. Yeah. Uh, do you like bagels? Oh, I do. I love them. Yeah, well, they got a new sandwich up at the McDonald's. It's got, it's got eggs and bacon in it. I had one of those. <laughs> I had one of those on Monday. It's... Uh, they put, yeah, I had one for breakfast. Yeah, they put they put an egg, they put a bacon, 
and they put yeah. cheese. And then they yeah, have this, it's like, um, it's a sauce. I don't know what they put in the sauce, but it is it is tasty. And I I believe that it's quite healthy. Yeah, I, I like it. You know what they ought to do, just for kicks? I shouldn't even what? say it on the air. I should call them confidentially so they could award me for the idea. They ought to have um, a breakfast mac rib. Remember how they used to have the mac rib sandwich? Yeah. So now, since everyone loves the mac rib sandwich every time they bring it back, why don't they shock us all by having the mac rib breakfast bagel for a limited time only? And basically, you put in half of a mac rib along with an egg and along with uh, some Velveeta and some special... A mac rib sauce, and there you go. That would be a hit. That'd be a breakfast hit. Yeah, it might taste good. Oh my! Can you imagine? Or yeah. how about this? It could be sort of a hybrid because they used to have um, what was it? Uh, Mick um, McMuffin. Remember, they used yeah. to have a McMuffin, and they used to use the Canadian bacon. Back when oh, we were, yeah. when we were friends with Canada, we um, apparently gave, or I guess Canada gave McDonald's a good deal on Canadian bacon, and so they don't have that no more. Yeah, well, so what I I say they could have uh, a Mac rib, Mac muffin. So it would be half of a Mac rib slab, of course, which is made out of real ribs. And um, and then uh, Canadian bacon, some Velveeta, and some of that uh, trademark special sauce. Oh, can you imagine that? That that would be a crowd pleaser. Yeah, that sounds good. Mm. But be too much for me to eat. Mm. Eat eat one half and save the other half for a snack. Later, yeah, that's so, right. All right, now we've made everyone hungry. I hope you have a, a great day and enjoy this beautiful day. Okay, you too. It's 929. This is Bob Joseph, the idea guy. Imagine all those great McDonald's sandwiches with, you know, I'm guessing even though they said they discontinued the Mac rib, I'm guessing it's coming back again. I don't. I don't think... I don't think the um, kids at McDonald's Industries will ever let go of their Mac rib. It's my that's my sense anyway. We're live and local. If you have thoughts about sandwiches or other things, certainly call in. I'm certainly expecting we'll be talking about spy balloons and uh, presidential politics. Now that. All the candidates are starting to come out of the woodwork. In fact, maybe we should focus on that. Yes, we will focus on that. Um, Who do you want to announce next? Which candidate, potential candidate for the White House, do you hope will be the next one to announce? 607-772-1290 is the number. I'm Bob Joseph on WNBF.
Nikki Haley has announced that she is running for president of the United States. The former South Carolina governor and U.N. ambassador has announced her candidacy, becoming the first major challenger to the previous president for the 2024 Republican nomination. So stay tuned for more candidates because it'll be a crowded field for sure. For 2024, it's going to be fun. Campaigns getting underway. Let's go to Shenango County. Walt in Green. Good morning. You're on the air. Well, good morning. How are you today? Doing well. Thank you. Great. I just wanted to give you a call. I listen to your show every morning, and I also listen to the news beforehand in the morning. But it seems like the news beforehand is all about sports. Now, I love sports and everything, just as anybody else, but I tune in list basically to listen to everything that's going on in our area. And I just think like 15, 20 minutes of a half an hour with sports is a little excessive. You know, and then it repeats again, and it seems like the person who does it knows a very lot about sports, but not as much about our area. You know, I don't know how other people feel about that. Right. Well, he's I can, he is relatively new to the Binghamton area, so it's safe to say okay. here's here's the <laughs> here here's one thing that you probably have observed. I know a lot about the Binghamton area, and one of the reasons is I was born in Binghamton, so. You know, I have that as to my advantage. Um, you know, as a talk show host and a reporter in Binghamton, I certainly have a big advantage over many other people who are doing reporting because I was born here and I, I've observed quite a few things over the years. So that gives me a, a little bit of, a, of an advantage over some other reporters. But, uh, you know, it's every I think every reporter and a presenter, whether it's on the radio here in Binghamton, on our station, or on uh, public broadcasting, or on the TV stations, or at the newspaper, whether they were born here or if they're relatively new, I think they do try to learn as much about the area as possible and then report as much as they can. And I, I also, yeah. I think, personally, I think it's it's helpful to have um, new eyes and a fresh perspective as reporters. I, I think I think having a good mix is is probably the ideal for a newsroom. If you could have somebody who has lived in our area for a long time, that's certainly beneficial. But also having people who have come from different parts of the country to um, you know learn more about our area. I think. I think that sort of mix can be be useful in terms of offering um, a more balanced or comprehensive view of what goes on around here. Oh, yeah. No, I certainly agree with you, and I understand that's the reason, because I believe he sort of specializes in sports. But oh, he does. And, yeah, he's and, – and that, by the way, that's true of a few other um, people – who are currently reporting news, I don't know if it's a few, one or two other people who are currently news reporters right now in Binghamton, say for TV stations, they may be doing news at the moment, but ultimately as they look ahead in their careers, and let's face it, you know, they're just in in a lot of cases early early in their, their careers, ultimately they do have goals that, that probably would be more focused on sports. I mean, of course, who knows what opportunities will present themselves to, to every person in the coming years. But but it's it's true. You know, some 
I I have to admit, say for the the time I was doing the first news program, first thing in the morning, I didn't do a whole lot of sports, mainly because sports isn't my specialty. I love watching especially baseball games and and sometimes hockey and occasionally football football usually one game a year but um (laughs) so you know that that explains why my sports report typically was was 60 seconds or 90 seconds when when i was doing that and and certainly james kelly is is very very interested in sports, especially with baseball, and I, I know he's very excited now that, uh, for example, pitchers and catchers are reporting today yep. for <laughs> over to Port St. Lucie. So, so yeah, everybody brings his or her own perspective and and expertise to any program they do. Well, my only thought is if he's in Binghamton, and this is where he is now, maybe he could become a little more informed about our area and talk just a little bit more about them. Sports is fine, but, to, uh, you know, even more about regional sports or something like that, which he does pretty good on, too. Right. Yeah, he's, you know, I, I think he's trying to, I think he's trying to do uh, a pretty comprehensive overview. I mean, focusing yeah. uh, a lot on, on some of the national sports scene and certainly because of his insights, because he, he really follows sports world closely, he has a lot more insight into things than I do. I mean, I wa- oh. actually read uh, a, a f- fair amount of sports reporting, whether it's in the New York Post or the Daily News or the New York Times, but as much as I read, I, I still can't consider myself uh, a sports expert. But uh, again, and also as far as uh, his efforts, to, he's constantly been been working to learn more about the Binghamton area. He has a lot of curiosity, so he's he's learned a lot so he far. He's great too, you know. Oh yeah. So so anyway, the uh, I mean, the bottom line is we're all we always will do the best we can with uh with the people we have and the resources we have the one thing that's always tough and whether it's for wnbf or for the tv stations or uh the newspaper these days there are never enough people and you know that's the that's the sad reality of the business and that's not sadly that's not going to change so we're we're always gonna i i believe everybody in this town in the media is working as hard as they can to do the best job they can every day. And I, well, I, I'm impressed by everyone's commitment. I'm, uh, I love your program. You know, you carry the national uh, uh, politics, local. Um, and I, one thing I do, I love to hear Beverly every morning. <laughs> well, she's part of the family. She really is. Yeah, and I just love to hear her. It's like talking to my aunt on the telephone. Yeah. <laughs> So I and I, but I noticed even on the WBNG news, all the misspellings uh, on their graphics. Well, now, now so, sometimes misspellings on TV graphics can. Sometimes it might be because someone who is typing the uh, the graphics, you know, that that show up are either they could be new to the area or they could be under enormous time pressure. Problem with. Say I, I do a lot of stories on our website, 
And one thing I notice, because I have no editor, after I publish a story on our website, it's not sadly uncommon for me to notice typos or dropped words or extra words. And and I know some people will look at that story and say, gee, don't you care? Or, you know, don't you know better? And it's, well, of course I know better, and of course I care. But I also, I admit sometimes, you know, that things slip well, through. And then the other night, uh, that? four or five misspellings, and I realized that, you know, maybe they're doing it by voice dictation. Well, I don't think they do that. If, if they're, they <laughs> I was going to say, if, they, if they're trying to do that, that, that would be too risky. But I think what I guess, what I suppose is, and I've been, I've been in some TV newsrooms before when they're, when they're putting a show together, a half hour, uh, sometimes at crunch time, they're inserting uh, graphics sometimes right up until the start of the broadcast or sometimes even during the broadcast. So it's it can yeah. be – and that's another thing, too. TV, because of technology, is using far fewer people than they did a decade ago or 20 years ago to put on a, a typical half-hour local newscast. So you've got more people – uh, or, or people doing more things than ever. So it, the the adage always, whether it's in the news business or any other business now in 2023, is do more with less. Yes, so and that's a terrible thing in some respect. And there's a lot of people that want don't want to do the work that. Oh, and that's another thing too. You know, uh, some some of these jobs, the support jobs in media, are extremely important and yet they're in the background i mean some people who are doing um work for uh radio or tv or the newspaper or whatever they may not get any kind of special public recognition in fact tv news uh used to on a regular basis at least typically once a week sometimes more frequently they used to roll credits at the end of a newscast so you would have a sense of of who the director was and who the audio person or camera operators and so on and and right now i don't i don't believe most stations routinely do a full credit roll so even a lot of the people who are toiling behind the scenes don't get any sort of public credit and i'm not saying that's why they went into the business but still you know some of those jobs are are challenging jobs and they're entry-level jobs that don't pay much. So, you know, again, sometimes I, I think TV stations are, are are doing the best they can with empty positions. You know, you, you still the, – the 6 o'clock news is going to come on at 6 o'clock every night whether or not you have uh, a full staff. Yeah. So, and, of course, and, you know, on the weekend I learned that the newscasters do everything themselves. Yes. They don't have all that added staff, maybe one or two they don't have that well no they're they're producing the newscast i mean it's in in some cases they're you know sometimes it might be uh one person putting together a, a whole show or if they're lucky maybe two people they're doing a lot of work and oh yeah you know so and i know it's you know for some people they take some sort of perverse satisfaction in pointing out um errors whether it's an error, say, that I make on air or on our website or whatever, or errors they observe elsewhere in the media. And I, I get 
I get their point. You know, what what we all strive for is perfection. And I know every once in a while, say, if I, if I see an error in, um, for example, the New York Times about three weeks ago, the Sunday Times had a feature story, and one of the references to a former president in print in the Sunday edition in the business section re- referred to him as Mr. Tump. <laughs> and again, that's the New York Times. So, and and I remember looking at it and doing a double take, and then I I looked the story up on on their website, and they'd fixed it on the website. But let's face it, once it's in print, it's there forever for everybody to enjoy. So, you know, again, what what I I think the the best way of looking at some of these things when you do see errors, whether it's misspellings or typos or sometimes just you know, the minor mistakes. Remember, remember, everybody who is doing this is human. It's human. Yeah. Now, at some point, at some point, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, might get so good that much of these reporting duties are turned over to software, and that's not going to be good well, we either. Don't want that. No, we don't so, want that. Anyway, well, I appreciate your uh, thoughts. Well, I uh, really enjoy your program. I like to hear about the local events. And, uh, you know, I know everybody's working their hardest to do the best they can. But, you know, we really need a little, like, Reynolds Avenue. It's Reynolds Avenue. That's I know. I know. It's it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. I appreciate it, though. And, again, people are people are trying to do the best they can under, how can I put it, challenging circumstances. There's a euphemism. It's 948, Bob Joseph, live on a Wednesday. This is WNBF. It's an balloon or a lamb speedy shortage Here is the news. The found a good old left their life in a plastic bag. yes here is the news <laughs> Yeah, it's what a what a business. I I really do want to write my book. I want to write my book, but I don't know if I'll have time. I also have to still report the news. Gonna have to make a difficult choice soon. Keep reporting the news on the hour, every hour, or get to work, get cracking on my book. I don't think my book will sell many copies, but people, there'll be some people around here who will be anxious to read the chapter about them. Well, how did he know that? (laughs) Uh, I'm a reporter. I'm a reporter asking a few questions every day. truth is, I'm now asking questions in my sleep. So, uh, it's an occupational hazard. Always asking questions. 
Well, why don't you stop asking questions, say, after 10 p.m.? I try. I try. I can't. Questions must be asked. Yes, they must. What else is uh, going on today? As you may have heard, the Conklin teenager who drove from Broome County to uh, Buffalo, he is um, going to be sentenced. He is going to be sentenced. So Peyton Gendron is uh, going to be sentenced to life in prison today in Buffalo. Uh, Mr. Gendron, who still is a teenager because he's now 19, is um, expected to apologize. There have been reports that Peyton Gendron a Susquehanna Valley High School graduate who went to Buffalo last May and killed 10 blacks after he posted white supremacist conspiracy theories online. Um, So there is word that he'll apologize. So there were racist thoughts, anti-Semitic rants, reading from a story, In the Washington Post, he included references to the Great Replacement Theory, popular with some people. Erie County Court Judge Susan Egan is scheduled to deliver the sentence after family members of those who were killed, as well as some shooting survivors, have an opportunity to make statements in the courtroom. Reading from the Washington Post story... Gendron of Conklin, New York, pleaded guilty in November to state murder and domestic terrorism charges that under state law carry a mandatory life sentence without the possibility of parole. New York does not permit the death penalty. Gendron still faces hate crime and firearm charges, federal charges that could make him eligible for capital punishment. The United States Justice Department is deliberating over whether to pursue the death penalty. And the families of those who were killed have offered different opinions about that matter. Terrence Connors, a Buffalo attorney who represents several families of those who were killed, said federal prosecutors told them last month that a decision on the death penalty is not imminent. So that's the latest on Conklin, New York's most infamous resident. I'm Bob Joseph. It's Wednesday morning. You're listening to News Radio WNBF. WNBF Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Wednesday, February 15th. You're listening to WNBF. An urgent project to secure the upper portion of a historic Binghamton structure after the partial collapse of a parapet wall may take weeks to complete. Several bricks fell from the roof area of the five-story structure at 23 Henry Street last Thursday. No injuries were reported when the bricks landed on a sidewalk and along State Street near the entrance to Burger Monday's restaurant. A section of State Street and the sidewalk on the west and south sides of the building have been closed by city officials because of safety concerns. 
The top four floors of the structure are filled with student apartments, although some of the units are unoccupied. Tim Moran of Foundation Housing, the Syracuse area rental company that operates the property, said the building owners have been working with city officials to coordinate the project. A wall has been erected around the worksite and protective scaffolding also has been put into place over the restaurant entrances. The dining area and bar at Burger Mondays have been closed since the bricks fell. The business has been providing takeout service for customers who call in their order. Owner Matthew Jones hopes the business will soon be able to reopen for regular operations. Moran said repair work on the building initially will focus on the State Street side. He said an 80-foot boom lift is expected to arrive at the site today. Moran said he hopes the job can be completed by the end of March. He said the work schedule could be affected by the weather. A Binghamton businessman's dream of building an office and apartment complex downtown is over. Mark Yanati had given up on a, developing a project on the southeast corner of Court and State Street. Yanati originally planned a multi-story structure where the O'Neill and Ross buildings once stood. The site has been vacant for nearly 15 years. In December 2021, Yanati told city officials that he expected Vision's Federal Credit Union would be an anchor tenant in a scaled-down project. Things didn't turn out that way Yanati had hoped. Speaking on WMBF Radio Tuesday, he said it's a bit of a heartbreaker for me. He said he considers the spot to be the best and busiest intersection in downtown Binghamton. United said Visions reevaluated its business operations in the aftermath of the pandemic, and they decided it wasn't in their best interest to occupy the planned building. When Ianati acquired the property from the city for $75,000, the agreement called for the project to be substantially complete by the end of this year. With the clock ticking, Ianati said it didn't seem possible to make this happen without a committed anchor tenant. In Broome County Court, Vance Murray, age 24 of Binghamton, was sentenced to two years in New York State Prison, followed by two years post-release supervision, after pleading guilty to felony attempted criminal possession of a weapon in the second degree. Murray admitted that on March 26th in the village of Endicott, he illegally possessed a loaded 9mm pistol. Endicott police officers conducted a stop of a motor vehicle in which Murray was a passenger for a traffic violation in the area of Vestal Avenue and East Main Street in the village of Endicott. One of the occupants of the vehicle had an active warrant and was taken into custody. Murray was found to be in possession of a 9mm handgun in his backpack. Michael Korchak, Broome County District Attorney, said our local law enforcement is doing an outstanding job taking illegal guns off our streets. Though Defendant Murray had no prior felony convictions, criminals should be on notice that if you possess an illegal gun in Broome County, you will go to prison. On February 12th, Broome County Sheriff's Office deputies conducted a routine traffic stop on Old Front Street in the town of Dickinson that led to the arrest of John Turner, a 45-year-old man from the town of Dickinson, on multiple drug possession and other charges. After being stopped for an expired vehicle inspection, Turner fled from sheriff's deputies on foot toward a parking lot storm drain where he allegedly attempted to dispose of a large amount of methamphetamine crystals. Deputies successfully subdued Turner and recovered 11.3 grams of methamphetamine in a ripped plastic clear bag on his person. Deputies believe Turner had also attempted to consume a large portion of the narcotics he was carrying and contacted emergency medical services for a medical evaluation. Turner was then transported to Binghamton General Hospital for further evaluation, and a Broome County Sheriff's Office deputy rode with him in the ambulance. As a result of the incident and subsequent investigation, John Turner was charged with criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree, criminal possession of a controlled substance in the fifth degree, tampering with physical evidence, and obstructing governmental administration in the second degree. McDonald was also issued traffic tickets for an expired vehicle inspection and unlicensed operation of a motor vehicle. Upon discharge from Binghamton General Hospital, Turner was processed and issued an appearance ticket to answer for his charges in the town of Dickinson Court. 
A white supremacist is set to be sentenced to life in prison for killing 10 black people at a Buffalo supermarket. Peyton Gendron is scheduled to appear Wednesday in Erie County Court, where he pleaded guilty in November to charges including murder and domestic terrorism motivated by hate. The terrorism charge carries an automatic life sentence. Relatives of several victims are expected to speak during the hearing. Gendron shot 13 people and three survived the May 14th attack specifically seeking out black shoppers and workers. Gendron also faces separate federal charges that could carry a death sentence if the U.S. Justice Department chooses to seek it. Thousands of New York State employees will be eligible for 12 weeks of fully paid parental leave starting Tuesday under a new policy from Governor Kathy Hochul's administration. The policy covers more than 10,000 non-unionized state employees, including managers and administrative support workers. It covers parents of adopted and foster children as well. Administration officials said they will work to expand the policy to cover more than 170,000 unionized state employees through collective bargaining. The Hochul administration called the Paid Parental Leave Initiative nation-leading among the patchwork of federal, state, and local leave policies. Rare and in some cases never-before-publicly-seen video of the 1986 dive through the wreckage of the Titanic is being released by the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. The more than 80 minutes of footage on the institution's YouTube channel today chronicles some of the remarkable achievements of the dive led by Robert Ballard. The expedition marked the first time human eyes had seen the giant ocean liner since it struck an iceberg and sank in the frigid North Atlantic on its maiden voyage from Southampton, England to New York City in April 1912. About 1,500 people died. National Weather Service forecasts for downtown Binghamton. Today, cloudy, then gradually becoming mostly sunny with a high near 61. Wind gusts as high as 32 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low near 41. Tomorrow, showers likely mainly after 1 p.m. Mostly cloudy with a high near 56 degrees, a 70% chance of rain. Tomorrow night showers, a low near 43 degrees, wind gusts as high as 33 miles per hour, an 80% chance of rain. And Friday, a chance of rain and snow showers before 1 p.m., then a slight chance of snow showers between 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. Cloudy with a high near 45 degrees, chance of rain 40%. Friday night, mostly cloudy, a low near 18 degrees. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. News Radio 1290, WMBF. Radio WNBF talking about the old days because we love history. I love reporting current events, but I also love talking about our history in the Binghamton area, New York State, and uh, across the country. Joining us now is uh, a fellow lover of history, Broome County historian Roger Luther. Good morning. Hi, hi Bob. How's Good it going? To be here. Great. Beautiful day. Sun shining. 
It's great. But as you pointed out a moment ago, before you came on the air, the wind is starting to kick up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Could be worse. It always could be worse. I, I have a friend who says, no matter what happens, could be worse. And I say, that applies to almost everything. Unfortunately, yeah, I mean, even even on our worst days, whether it's tragedy or whatever, yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't get as bad as it could be. Absolutely. So, so I invited you in to uh, give uh, a plug, a promotion for a presentation that's going to take place this evening that I think is going to be of great interest to many WNBF listeners. Tell me about uh, what is coming up tonight at 645, a presentation called Abandon the Stories of Binghamton's Deserted Landmarks. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's a program for the Broome County Historical Society. Every month we have a, uh, a program. Uh, they are held uh, live and in person in the Decker Room at the library. And at the same time, we uh, cover them on Zoom and uh, live stream to our Facebook page. In fact, we started doing the Zoom thing when the pandemic came along, and it, we, it, was, it was so popular, we decided we'd continue it when we went back to live uh, programs. So uh, we're doing that. It starts at 645. And uh, should be, I figured it would be pretty interesting, but I was uh, kind of overwhelmed at the response. We put it up on Facebook as an event, and I just checked before coming in here, we're up to 751 people that have said they are interested. Now, on Facebook, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're actually going to watch it, but... uh, that's a that's a big turnout. So uh, I think I think it's going to be uh, an interesting program. I think we're going to get a good turnout. If you're thinking about coming, uh, either come real early to, to the Decker Room because the I think the capacity there's 80 people, uh, or just uh, get it on Zoom or Facebook Live. And what are some of the uh, locations that you plan to focus on? Well, you'll have to just come and, come and see. But I can tell you, I've, I thought it would be a good idea to take uh, a few, maybe five or six different uh, structures around Binghamton. And uh, places that we're all familiar with, we drive past them every day, you know, and you always wonder, hey, what, what does that look like inside? And what's going on with it? And what's the history of that building? Well, that's exactly what we're going to cover. History will show some old vintage pictures, some old vintage articles. Uh, uh, talk about what has been happening over recent years, what the future looks like for them. And we'll have tons of photos, uh, both uh, vintage and current photos. We talk quite a bit, um, at, and whether it's uh, discussions I've had with you over the years, sometimes with Jerry Smith or other people really appreciate Broome County history, that you can't take anything for granted um, You know, for a long time way too long people took for granted the ross and o'neill buildings right here at uh, at our spot at our intersection at court and state streets in binghamton and we see what happens after um a building in this case a pair of buildings that were connected were sadly they were neglected for too long and got to the point where they could no longer be salvaged and and certainly I I remember, as of course you do, 
all the efforts that were made to save those buildings, right? Really oh, yeah. almost up to the point where a final determination was made that they had to be torn down because of public safety issues. Yeah, that Ross building is near and dear to my heart for sure. And we, we watched it for years uh, slowly. It was called in preservationists call it a demolition by neglect and that's exactly what it was it got to the point where there's no question that it had to come down it was a hazard uh, but it never should have got to that point uh, then it uh oh, as you know the green man story several beautiful architectural details or not several but a couple were salvaged at the very last minute uh but yeah, it's uh, it's a shame to see that it that it went, and now it's. We were looking forward to uh, Mark Ionati's plan to put a new building up there. We thought it was a beautiful building. He was even going to incorporate a, a green man in the new building, and it's not looking good now. It's a real shame. No, sadly, and and um, Mark Ionati was on the program just twenty four hours ago to confirm that after spending so much time, so many years. Uh, nearly a decade with uh, trying to develop a plan for that vacant spot after the demolition occurred in 2008 that it wasn't it wasn't going to become a reality and it was complicated yeah. i mean the um proposed anchor tenant was i think in, in in some ways ambivalent and and certainly what he pointed out too just given uh business changes uh locally and nationally uh, during and since the pandemic, um, the use of office buildings or retail buildings, especially in downtown spaces, it may not ever be the same again, or if it returns to what we consider normal before COVID-19, it may take many years before that happens. Yeah, You mentioned how quickly things can change. Uh, another good example is this uh Gallagher's service station on uh, Upper Court Street. Exactly. Uh, I, I mean, it was there, gee, it was there nine days ago. And, and before you know it, after a few minutes, the uh, highly skilled demolition experts from Gorick Construction took that building down. Yeah. And it's always amazed me because they're of their proficiency that uh yeah something that was was there for several decades and again people took that building for granted you know, you know you so know what i I, yeah. I drive past that building every day because i live out in that right that neck of the woods and uh i love that building you know i used to think man well wouldn't that make a nice little brewery or you know and since I posted this on Facebook, I'm getting all sorts of comments. Everybody loved that building, and everybody had plans to use it. But anyway, so I'm driving by at 9 o'clock in the morning, and I saw the uh, the excavator there take a big chunk of it out. It stopped and had my camera and started shooting it. But within 45 minutes, it was a pile of bricks. Yeah. And I, by the way, I uh, did have a chance to talk with the guy who had owned that property. It was recently sold. And uh, I did speak with him yesterday. And he said, you know, he, he did feel badly. Actually, he had a plan for that building several years ago. And at some point, I'll uh, probably do a story because he had this vision for that building that was, it was wonderful. And I, I told him, I said, it's just a shame that what he had in mind for that when he bought it, I think he bought it maybe in the early 90s, and he said there's a high traffic count passed there. Yeah. Thousands of vehicles go back and forth on that part of Upper Court Street near the Kirkwood-Binghamton line, and he thought that it was going to be really a perfect place for a business. And he had a, he had 
this idea, really, that he described to me, and I thought that would have been ideal. But as he looked into it further, because of the constraints of the building, as far as, look, it was a solid building that was constructed, I, I believe you said, in the late 1920s. 29, yeah. Yeah. But entrances were narrow. I mean, to try to develop a business in the 21st century that would be functional and meet all current modern-day requirements would have been extremely expensive. Not impossible, yeah. but very, very costly. And that's that's one of the sad things. And also, of note, there's um, sort of a, a twin building across the street that still exists. Yeah, that was part of it. Yeah. Yeah, and in fact, while we're talking about it, people may have been fascinated about what the original purposes were for those two sort of twin buildings up there, what uh, at at various times they were used for, because, uh, of course, most recently, people tend to remember that there was um, a service station, the Gallagher service station. It was originally built as a service station, Uh, R.J. Bump. It was the Bump service station uh, in 1921. I've got a, a photo from 1930. Uh, and the the uh, sign out front has the uh, gas price of seventeen cents a gallon, and I think that's tax included. <laughs> I believe. In, in fact, you're, you've been kind enough to share that photo with me. So um, later today, I think on WNBF.com, I'll I'll sort of uh, do a story about a little bit of the history of the site, and also people will be able to see that historic photo, the black and white photo, and also with images of, sadly, what the site looks like now, now that it's been totally cleared. So, yes, it started as the R.J. Bump service station, and then it had various uses in in the um, uh, ensuing years. Yeah. I think it finally closed in 76. I'm not sure, but I think that's the case. So tell me what surprised me, what I didn't really ever pay close attention to, you know, obviously people who travel that part of Court Street day in and day out always noticed the railroad siding, the tracks that ended right there next to the building. But until I went there on Monday morning to take pictures, it never really dawned on me, look, these railroad tracks came right up to that that point, and there was a reason for that. Yeah, that's where the uh, train cars parked up on that uh upper level and they would be loaded with coal and they'd drop the coal right down through through the uh tracks to to a chute uh to an underground conveyor so then the underground conveyor ran in a tunnel under the road and on up to the big power plant at the at the state hospital and that was one thing that intrigued me of course that uh underground System now has been sealed off, but but yeah, I, I well, never yeah, knew. I was so curious. You know, several years ago, I found a hole over there and crawled down in it and, and got down to the conveyor. And sure enough, it, it's uh, it's still there, but uh, the yeah, the tunnel under the road has been totally sealed off, filled up and sealed off. Hmm. It's yeah, that's remarkable. And again, something that you went past every day probably several times a week and it was there unused for years and the sign was there on the front that it was available for sale one acre site and then one monday morning you you saw the the demolition crew was there and fortunately you you um had your camera with you as you always do always do yeah and and you (laughs) captured the the final moments of of that historic building 
Yeah, and I thank you for that, by the way. It's oh. it was the type of thing. After I heard about it, uh, after the fact, I thought, see, that's that's what happens. I try to keep up on these things, and and many things I I find out about in advance. But that was one that uh, that fell through the cracks. So I was just well, you, thankful that someone was there to document yeah, it. Yeah, you know what? These things it happens all the time. They come down very fast, and once they're down, they're gone forever. The more photos we can take, even of the demolition, the better, while those uh, buildings are still here. Right now in the Binghamton area, is there one specific building that you have the greatest concern for, that it's, uh, in in your view, as Broome County historian and as a person who loves the history of of the southern tier that, that you feel might be most endangered? Well, there's obviously one building that is absolutely my favorite, but as far as the most endangered, the one that I'm worried about the most is the Masonic Temple. You know, it's had over the recent years a whole variety of owners, a whole variety of great-sounding plans. Every one of them has fallen through, and uh, right now is no different. We, you know, we had high hopes, but right now it's it's up for sale. And there's a building at 66 Main Street, just a little bit to the west of the high school, that I drive by, not quite every day, almost every day. And I, I just look over there and, and think about what used to exist, because last year was the 100th anniversary of the construction of the yeah. Masonic Temple. Yeah, it started in 22, but it, it, it was actually delayed because there was a railroad strike going on, and it wasn't completed until uh, 23. And... With so many developers over the years, and I, I remember, I think it was five or six years ago, I had the opportunity to go through the place. And that actually, strangely enough, even though I've lived in the area all my life, that was the only time that I've ever been inside there. And I was able to go down to the sub-basement and explore every little crevice and crack in that building and then wind up on the roof and actually be... Atop the the roof there, despite my fear of heights, I thought this is just a special opportunity to be atop the Masonic Temple, also appreciating the history of that place. Yeah, I can relate to that. I, I'm terrified of heights, but it doesn't stop me from getting a good photo. No, and I. Uh, by the way, speaking of that, people who are not aware would do well to take a look at at your website with with all the the photography Uh, that that you've done over the years let people know about your your website so they can see some of the history that you've documented yeah there's a ton of photos historical info there uh old articles and the uh, web address is uh nyslandmarks.com it's nys like new york state landmarks.com Roger Luther, Broome County Historian, thank you for your service. Thank you, Bob. It's always a pleasure to be here. And one final reminder of tonight's presentation uh, on the Broome County Historical Society Facebook page, and uh, or if people get there early enough at the Broome County Library, uh, abandon the stories of Binghamton's deserted landmarks. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Thank you. Thanks for stopping in. It's 1028. Bob Joseph, live on News Radio, WNBF 921 FM, 1290 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app.
providing you with the best solutions of your lifetime. The KSO Insurance Weekly Spotlight with Karen Sweet O'Neill on News Radio 1290 WNBF. On this Wednesday morning, we welcome Karen to our program. Good morning. How are you? I am well, and yourself? Great. I wish they would let me do the program outside because I would go outside to the little park across the street from the station and I would do it live from the little park. And you would enjoy it. It's beautiful out. I know. I was I was out um, right before 9 o'clock this morning doing some pictures and video for a story that I'm reporting on and I, I didn't want to come inside to the studio, but... You know, contractually, I'm obligated. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> By the way, I'm not complaining. I, I obviously I love what I do, but it would have been would have been so special on February 15th when it's so beautiful, beautiful here in downtown Binghamton to do it outside. But who knows? What we still we still may have a, a few uh, additional mild days this month. Maybe I'll I'll set up a little a little remote studio at the park, and people could come by and uh, enjoy complimentary popcorn. Mm. You set up at that park over there, that's going to be quite interesting. It would be. It would be. Yes, we'll it would. Yes, call, it would. call it Bob's, Mr. Bob's Neighborhood. No, Mr. Joseph's Neighborhood. And I could wear a little Bob's sweater. Bob's Corner. Yes, Bob's Corner. And we, we could have. <laughs> anyway, let's let's uh, get to the uh, the important information that people people are are looking forward to. What what kind of uh, important guidance do you have this morning? Well, we're talking about this morning people that have uh, long term care insurance policies, and that's many 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 people. And they've had them for years, quite frankly, probably. Um, and now, in the past two years, maybe three were going on, I think, they um, quite often are getting rate-increased letters in the mail from the companies that uh, insures them. So, you know, a long-term care insurance policy is an insurance policy that will help pay the cost of a perhaps a nursing home, assisted living, or home care if you have an accident or illness that requires that you use some of those services. And it can be quite costly. So people buy long-term care insurance or have in the past and to, you know, transfer that risk off to the insurance company. So if something happens and they need to use those services, whether it's, um, permanently or temporarily, which happens all the time temporarily, then the insurance company is on the hook for the payment instead of the policyholder. So it's a really good product, but unfortunately, we're starting to see some quite extraordinary rate increases. And it doesn't matter what company you have. It's MedAmerica, it's John Hancock, it's Travelers, Metropolitan, it's all of them, GE. And what they do, these companies, when they have a rate increase, they go to the insurance department, New York State Insurance Department, and show them why they need the increase and, you know, that they need those additional monies to satisfy existing or future claims. 
and basically because their actuaries got the got it wrong when they put the product together. But the, the the crux of the matter is, as we age, it's not normally the time that you want it to cancel your long-term care insurance policy because it may be when you're going to need it or in the near future. So what do you do? Well, some of these um, rate increases are factored in over a three-year period, and they send out, these companies send out these letters and they're quite, um, they're quite lengthy. There's usually three or four pages, sometimes five or six. And in, there, in those pages, it's telling them what their existing benefits are and what the increase is going to be in the next three years and what they can do about it if they have choices, you know, how they can negate the cost of it, how they can reduce the cost of the increase, or how they can just cancel the policy. So we step in for people that, um, obviously, people that we insure ourselves because we've been in a long time, and uh, we handle all that, and we explain to them, you know, what the rate increases are, what their best approach is to the rate increase, and are there any other options that aren't in the letter. But for people that their brokers or their advisors or their agents are no longer in the business, whether they're retired or they moved away or they're simply not here, uh, what do they do? It's a really difficult task to accomplish by yourself. So we have them call us, we make them, them an appointment, and we call the company together. We have the letters in front of us, and we go over the benefits that they now have with their existing policy and the choices and options that the company gave them in the letter and then we also explore, do they have any other choices or options that aren't in the letter? And quite frankly, there usually are. So that's what we wanted to talk about to let people know they're not alone. If indeed they get these rate increases, please don't cancel those policies because I'll tell you what, the insurance company, be happy. they certainly wouldn't mind because that's pure profit, all those premiums you paid all those years. Oh, then, but are the... You would know this, and this is just between you and me. Are the insurance companies struggling, so maybe they need that money? Well, the insurance companies, and that's, you know, struggling. Um, I mean, I know it seems strange to ask, but again, because well, I don't know that does. much about insurance companies, I mean, I, I don't want right. them to struggle. Well, no, God forbid. Um, no, because we want our, our claims paid, you know, because that's why we bought the insurance. So what actually happened, Bob, a couple different things. When they put this product together years and years and years, 20, 25 years ago, the actuaries, they didn't quite get it right in the insurance company because there is a, um, with insurance, there's always a certain period of time where people just drop their policies, whether it's a 10-year term, 20-year term, whole life insurance, they cash it in, take the money. So the persistency rate, is definitely not even close to 100%. Well, with long, so they factored that in with long-term care insurance. But long-term care insurance is a product that people don't get rid of. They keep that because, as I said before, the older you are, the more likely you are to use the insurance. Plus, you bought it to protect your assets and your family. So that's one thing they got wrong. The other thing that the insurance companies got wrong is the underwriting, the medical underwriting that provided 
people the opportunity to buy long-term care insurance, well, there were a lot of policyholders that applied that, quite frankly, should not have gotten the coverage. And this was across the board with all different companies because, it, you know, they had too many contributing factors that may increase their likelihood of using the long-term care insurance a lot sooner than predicted. So those premiums, if you're spending two, three thousand, four thousand dollars a year, and you go on claim in the second year, well, what happens is you have a waiver of premium automatically, which means you don't pay your premium anymore. And now the insurance companies are starting to dole out, you know, the nursing home rate, um, daily rate for you, or the home care or assisted living. So is it um, that they don't have? enough resources to pay those claims? No, not necessarily, but they can obviously show that going forward, they need the increases to cover um, the existing and the future claims up to a certain level. So we used to have a New York State Insurance Commissioner that never had a rate increase allowed for about 18 years. So then the new the new sheriff came to town, and now we're seeing the rate increases, and that's part of it as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of contributing factors, right? All right. Um, well, it's yeah, just, you know, I'd, I'll have to do some reading so I can have a better understanding of how the industry works. We do have a, a question from a viewer. Um, oh. He says, if someone just turned 62... And they want to start collecting Social Security, and he says he earned it. How does he go about applying for it? Can he do that? Oh, well, sure. As soon as you're 62 years old, you can apply for uh, Social Security if you choose. It will be a reduced benefit because you're not if you're you're not at your FRA, which is your full retirement age. But that's okay if you know if a lot of people collect it early. How do you do it? The easiest way to do it is to go to socialsecurity.gov, and you sign up right, you know, right there, right on the Internet. Really? If you're, I mean, yeah, so I could do it now if I was 62. I mean, obviously, sure. I, I have to wait, but say if, when I get to that point, I would be able to do it even during, say, a news break. Well, if you're, if you're computer savvy, yes, you could. I am. I'm very computer not, savvy. I know you are. And if you're not, though, if the, the caller um, isn't, and a lot of people aren't, or they just don't feel comfortable doing it that way, Bob, they can call um, Social Security. We do have a local Social Security office. They're wonderful. Call there. They can make an appointment. They can go down, do it over the phone, and they can sign up. And that's probably really a, a good way to do it if they don't know what the reduced benefits are and how it could affect them for the rest of their lives and see if maybe they want to wait a little bit longer, or do they, you know, want to collect at 62. So, what yeah. is uh, What is the full retirement age now? Well, it depends on when you were born. So I'm doing this off my chart. Right now, for anybody that was born in 1959 to 1960, we're looking at about age 66 and three months, 66 and four months, depending on when, what month you were born in. And uh, in the year, whether it was 59 or 60. So let's call it around 67 at the, at the highest is your FRA hmm. for people coming. Yeah. And what if you were born so, before that? 
Well, if you were born before that, then it was 65. Oh. Huh. Very interesting. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting how they have all these rules and regulations. It is interesting, and it's really important to pay attention to them because Social Security for people, whether it's their main source of retirement income or it's supplementing their portfolio as a retirement income, all that comes into play when you choose the age that you take it at. In the way that you take it, you know, do you want your spouse's coverage at 50% or is yours higher? And all these things come into play. So it's really important to, if you're not sure, you know, make an appointment with Social Security. That's what they're there for. And, and again, they're very good. We have a very good local office. Well, this is a very informative segment. I'm glad I'm here. Well, I'm glad you're there too, Bob. So if people would like to get in touch with you today, what is the best way? They can get in touch with us several ways. They can call us, 607-772-4898. They can Google us at KSO Insurance. All our contact information comes up. Or they can simply go to a phone book. We have a big display ad under insurance in the yellow pages. Karen Sweet O'Neill, always a pleasure. I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a chance to get out and enjoy some of uh, our really beautiful weather. I plan on it, Bob, and I hope you do too. Thank you. Okay, take care. It's 1045, Bob Joseph live on News Radio, WNBF 607 772 1290 is our number. If you would like to participate, if you have a few thoughts, call in and talk, share, share your thoughts. Share your suggestions on this Wednesday morning. This is WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. WNBF Live at 1050. This is Bob Joseph. Gary from Binghamton's West Side, you're on the air. Good morning, Bob. Very informative. Uh, the last Karen Sweet on Neil gave a lot of good information. Just a little story. Uh, every year, I, I buy, uh, I get uh, supplemental insurance, and every year I go and uh, get a check to see if I can get it cheaper. And AARP was always the cheapest, but this year there was a new company that came out, and so it was a hundred dollars less per month and you know they have to pay they have to give you the same benefits and so of course i went with that bob that's twelve hundred dollars a year that's a pretty darn good vacation just by you know if i just sat around and said oh, i'm gonna go with i'm just gonna keep my old insurance you know i mean i wouldn't know any other wiser but you know i i think it's a good thing to get checked every year and she does a good service there but Yes. That's my comment on that. Yeah. But, you know, I wanted to talk. I love Roger Luther. And uh, there was a caller last week who he mentioned about the uh, just breathe and how uh, how the residents are going to react to that. And uh, he made some good points, you know, like about the businesses around the area. But it made me think back to what happened during Prohibition. 
You know, I mean, was it the same type of thing where people didn't want bars uh, in their neighborhoods and stuff like that? One of the things I found out was, did you know that in Prohibition you could get medical alcohol? Kind of like medical marijuana. You could get a prescription? You could get a prescription. And the thing about that, Bob, was that prescriptions were very, very easy to get. Very easy to get. And, in fact, it was just like, well... I don't want to use California as an example, but I think I will. You know, like the medical marijuana, they were handing them out left and right. You could get it. You know, I got a headache, and you can get a medical marijuana card. Well, it was the same thing with alcohol back in the day, you know. And uh, there was actually some doctors that uh, weren't really, uh, you know, didn't want to play by the rules. And they would get their books out and people, their uh, no, the uh, prescription pads, and people would write their own prescriptions. It was common. There was a, uh, and then, you know, you take it to the uh, drugstore, you'd hand it in, and then they'd give you the alcohol. One of the drugstores was Walgreens, and they had a couple of dozen stores. But because they were the ones that would accept these prescriptions, they went into the hundreds of stores after all of that got done. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And if you fast forward today, let's talk about alcohol today. Bob, if I was to ask you what drug is involved in most violent crimes, and I think you know the answer because where I'm going with this, but most people that listen would say, oh, it's got to be fentanyl or heroin, one of those two, probably even marijuana. But alcohol is involved in 40% of violent crimes, and that's far and away than all the other drugs. It's just, like, ridiculous that this goes on. Right. It, and then there was a thing in the New York Times where they had discussed the latest studies on alcohol. And they're saying now that if you only have a couple of drinks per week, where they used to say that was healthy for you, you know, red wine, all of that. They say, no, it's not that they're saying that alcohol could be a leading cause of cancers. Definitely liver. It would affect your liver and even heart disease. Right. These are all things that it's not really headlines. Right? And Bob, if, if BU, if they had an event and I'm Philip Morris and I go to BU and I say, hey, I'd like to uh, give you some money. And, uh, you know, maybe I could uh, put up a, a cigarette ad up on the screen. So that, and people the, would go nuts. They go, how can you have this happen? The cancer causing Effects of cigarettes is ridiculous, but if I'm Anheuser-Busch and I go there and I say, hey, you know, I'd like to sponsor your event and put up a Budweiser sign, people would go, sure. And there would be no problem with that. They wouldn't protest or anything. I mean, alcohol gets a pass. Don't you think so? Oh, pretty much, but it's because of the money. Money talks, no one walks. Well, sure, sure. You know, I mean, there's all of these things pointing towards how bad it is for our society, health-wise, crime-wise. I don't see any articles. I mean, if, if government officials really cared about our health, then they would take steps. And again, I'm not saying they should or, or really ever would. But if they really cared about the health of their constituents, then alcohol would be illegal, tobacco would be illegal weed would still be illegal but 
you know, other factors are at play, including the important factor of money. And again, I'm not saying you can ban them. At some point, and not likely in my lifetime, but at some point in this country, there probably will be a time where ultimately everything will be decriminalized because somebody finally will come to the realization that the war on drugs is not winnable. No matter how many billions of dollars we spend to try to keep people from using what are now illicit drugs, it's just not going to work out. I mean, we see that, I think, playing out almost every day. I appreciate your call. Okay. You're welcome. So there. We'll see what happens. I, I for one, can't predict the future, but the way things are going, the way things are going, course i could be wrong (laughs) that wouldn't surprise me but we'll see anyway if you have some thoughts about almost anything i encourage you to participate as our wednesday program continues we will be taking more calls coming up i'm bob joseph live on wnbf i believe wnbf where news breaks first news radio 1290 wnbf Good morning on this Wednesday, February 15th. You're listening to WMBF. An urgent project to secure the upper portion of a historic Binghamton structure after the partial collapse of a parapet wall may take weeks to complete. Several bricks fell from the roof area of the five-story structure at 23 Henry Street last Thursday. No injuries were reported when the bricks landed on a sidewalk and along State Street near the entrance to Burger Monday's restaurant. A section of State Street and the sidewalk on the west and south sides of the building have been closed by city officials because of safety concerns. The top four floors of the structure are filled with student apartments, although some of the units are unoccupied. Tim Moran of Foundation Housing, the Syracuse area rental company that operates the property, said the building owners have been working with city officials to coordinate the project. A wall has been erected around the work site and protective scaffolding also has been put into place over the restaurant entrances. The dining area and bar at Burger Mondays have been closed since the bricks fell. The business has been providing takeout service for customers who call in their order. Owner Matthew Jones hopes the business will soon be able to reopen for regular operations. Moran said repair work on the building initially will focus on the State Street side. He said an 80-foot boom lift is expected to arrive at the site today. Moran said he hopes the job can be completed by the end of March. He said the work schedule could be affected by the weather. A Binghamton businessman's dream of building an office and apartment complex downtown is over. Mark Yanati had given up on developing a project on the southeast corner of Court and State Street. Yanati originally planned a multi-story structure where the O'Neill and Ross buildings once stood. The site has been vacant for nearly 15 years. In December 2021, Yanati told city officials that he expected Vision's Federal Credit Union would be an anchor tenant in a scaled-down project. Things didn't turn out that way Yanati had hoped. Speaking on WMBF Radio Tuesday, he said it's a bit of a heartbreaker for me. He said he considers the spot to be the best and busiest intersection in downtown Binghamton. Yanati said Visions reevaluated its business operations in the aftermath of the pandemic, and they decided it wasn't in their best interest to occupy the planned building. When Yanati acquired the property from the city for $75,000, the agreement called for the project to be substantially complete by the end of this year. With the clock ticking, Yanati said it didn't seem possible to make this happen without a committed anchor tenant. 
In Broome County Court, Vance Murray, age 24, of Binghamton, was sentenced to two years in New York State Prison, followed by two years post-release supervision, after pleading guilty to felony attempted criminal possession of a weapon in the second degree. Murray admitted that on March 26th in the village of Endicott, he illegally possessed a loaded 9mm pistol. Endicott police officers conducted a stop of a motor vehicle in which Murray was a passenger for a traffic violation in the area of Vestal Avenue and East Main Street in the village of Endicott. One of the occupants of the vehicle had an active warrant and was taken into custody. Murray was found to be in possession of a 9mm handgun in his backpack. Michael Korchak, Broome County District Attorney, said our local law enforcement is doing an outstanding job taking illegal guns off our streets. Though Defendant Murray had no prior felony convictions, criminals should be on notice that if you possess an illegal gun in Broome County, you will go to prison. On February 12th, Broome County Sheriff's Office deputies conducted a routine traffic stop on Old Front Street in the town of Dickinson that led to the arrest of John Turner, a 45-year-old man from the town of Dickinson, on multiple drug possession and other charges. After being stopped for an expired vehicle inspection, Turner fled from sheriff's deputies on foot toward a parking lot storm drain where he allegedly attempted to dispose of a large amount of methamphetamine crystals. Deputies successfully subdued Turner and recovered 11.3 grams of methamphetamine in a ripped plastic clear bag on his person. Deputies believe Turner had also attempted to consume a large portion of the narcotics he was carrying and contacted emergency medical services for a medical evaluation. Turner was then transported to Binghamton General Hospital for further evaluation, and a Broome County Sheriff's Office deputy rode with him in the ambulance. As a result of the incident and subsequent investigation, John Turner was charged with criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree, criminal possession of a controlled substance in the fifth degree, tampering with physical evidence, and obstructing governmental administration in the second degree. McDonald was also issued traffic tickets for an expired vehicle inspection and unlicensed operation of a motor vehicle. Upon discharge from Binghamton General Hospital, Turner was processed and issued an appearance ticket to answer for his charges in the town of Dickinson Court. A white supremacist is set to be sentenced to life in prison for killing 10 black people at a Buffalo supermarket. Peyton Gendron is scheduled to appear Wednesday in Erie County Court, where he pleaded guilty in November to charges including murder and domestic terrorism motivated by hate. The terrorism charge carries an automatic life sentence. Relatives of several victims are expected to speak during the hearing. Gendron shot 13 people and three survived the May 14th attack, specifically seeking out black shoppers and workers. Gendron also faces separate federal charges that could carry a death sentence if the U.S. Justice Department chooses to seek it. Thousands of New York State employees will be eligible for 12 weeks of fully paid parental leave starting Tuesday under a new policy from Governor Kathy Hochul's administration. The policy covers more than 10,000 non-unionized state employees, including managers and administrators support workers. It covers parents of adopted and foster children as well. Administration officials said they will work to expand the policy to cover more than 170,000 unionized state employees through collective bargaining. The Hochul administration called the paid parental leave initiative nation-leading among the patchwork of federal, state, and local leave policies. Rare and in some cases never before publicly seen video of the 1986 dive through the wreckage of the Titanic is being released by the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. The more than 80 minutes of footage on the institution's YouTube channel today chronicles some of the remarkable achievements of the dive led by Robert Ballard. The expedition marked the first time human eyes had seen the giant ocean liner since it struck an iceberg and sank in the frigid North Atlantic on its maiden voyage from Southampton, England to New York City in April 1912. About 1,500 people died. National Weather Service forecasts for downtown Binghamton. Today, cloudy, then gradually becoming mostly sunny with a high near 61. Wind gusts as high as 32 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low near 41. Tomorrow, showers likely, mainly after 1 p.m. 
Mostly cloudy with a high near 56 degrees, a 70% chance of rain. Tomorrow night showers, a low near 43 degrees, wind gusts as high as 33 miles per hour, an 80% chance of rain. And Friday, a chance of rain and snow showers before 1 p.m., then a slight chance of snow showers between 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. Cloudy with a high near 45 degrees, chance of rain 40%. Friday night, mostly cloudy, a low near 18 degrees. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Joseph live on a Wednesday morning. Thank you for being with us on WNBF. Number to call if you'd like to share your thoughts is 607-772-1290. Feel free to call in now. Love is but a song we sing. Feels the way we die. Start the hour by going directly to the phones. Good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Hi, this is Elaine from Endicott. How Good. are you today? Well, I am well. Thank you for calling. That's okay. That's great. It's beautiful out there. Uh, I just got back, but I was in my car tooling along in your nine o'clock hour, and you were talking about sandwiches. I was. <laughs> okay, and uh, you know they were you were talking about the McRib, and it goes away and comes back, and you know, like a zombie. Anyway, um, I have one from Burger King that is similar that I make for my husband all year long. You take their original chicken sandwich and ask for it plain, and when you get home, you chop your onion of choice, and you use baby raised barbecue sauce on it and you make it nice and warm in the microwave or whatever you want to do, and, you know, you slap it all together. You can put pickles on it like the McRib or not. It's up to you, and it is just as good, if not better. Wow. Wow. Oh, my gosh, that sounds great. My husband asks for it every time I go. (laughs) Wow. I think you just shared um, the secret to a good life right there, live on the radio. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that. Okay, that's lunch. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah. uh, who knows? Maybe maybe this hour other people will share their sandwich discoveries. Let's face it, we, I guess, according to McDonald's, we eat billions of burgers every year, they claim. So. I, worked, I worked in Burger King. I started at Burger King up at the mall when they had the gazebo. And then they put me in Vestal while they made the other one that was up next to CVS. And then when that closed, I went back to Vestal. So I have 29, 30 years of experience at Burger King. And when you have lunch there, you get very creative. <laughs> what's, uh, 
What do you think is their best sandwich? The, uh, not not oh, something this- not something that people create on their own, but something that they they have regularly made available. What do you think Burger King's best is? The, re- the regular original chicken sandwich is the best by far. It's juicy and it's it's cooked through perfectly that it still has juice when you bite into it. Oh, now I'm hungry. And by the way, <laughs> now that you mention that, I, I I do have recollections. I haven't had one recently, but I'll I'll say based on my memories of that, um, there would be absolutely no need for that uh, a company based in the Atlanta area to even open up in Broome County. I mean, there's your chicken sandwich right there. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. they can't. You know, they can. Oh, I'm a, I want to try this. Oh, I do too. I will. I will, um, but you know the thing that really irks me is if I have a hankering for one of their sandwiches on a Sunday, I can't get one. I mean, and again, oh yeah, it's right. their business. Get, you know, I get I, this chicken sandwich right every day. You know, <laughs> now I really yeah, I want... don't like I don't like the crispy fried chicken sandwiches. I just don't mm. like them. If I want crispy fried chicken, I'm going to. KFC, and that's that. Right. <laughs> I saw a kid on the internet. He has a, a YouTube um, uh, program, and what he did, he took chicken sandwiches from I think the five or six biggest purveyors of the chicken sandwiches, the ones that like the ones you described. And what he did was actually analyzed each one, and um, in terms of how much breading was on some of them, and and the, the worst. Offender, the most egregious, forty nine percent of of the uh, main attraction of the sandwich, forty nine percent was breading, and fifty one percent was actually chicken. So that, yeah, I mean, and again, not that there's anything wrong with that. There's a reason. There are a couple of reasons they do it. One, of course, is because of flavor. Two, also because of cost. I, I'm sure the breading is cheaper than than the the chicken itself, but hey. Let's face it, they they know that they're chicken sandwich fanatics like the way they do it. And to be honest with you, I've had that particular chicken sandwich, and I, I've thought it's pretty good, even though I, I could have told you that a, a high percentage, I wouldn't have guessed 49% was breading, but, you know, still, it's tasty. But, but you're putting breading on bread. Right, I know. Yeah. But it tastes good. Yeah, it does. It's, it does. You know, in oh. the end, in the end, for me, uh, if it comes to fast food, I yes, I want something. Most of all, I want something fast. I actually, there was a, um, let's see, a place that's noted for probably having the best chicken sandwiches. One of the uh, companies that actually is blamed for starting the chicken sandwich wars a few years ago. They have an outlet on Main Street in Binghamton. And one day after work, for some reason, I had a hankering, not just a hankering, but an urgent desire for a chicken sandwich. So I stopped by. I usually take a close look to see if there are many vehicles in line. And I thought, oh, this is great. It's 5 o'clock. And for some reason, nobody, zero vehicles were were queued up at the at the drive-thru. And I thought, well, I'm going to be able to slide in and get my chicken sandwich in mere seconds. And honestly, and I timed it, it took more than 15 minutes. I don't know what happened, but something happened. And again, wow. uh, hey, I don't, I've never run a restaurant or any business. So, you know, I, I mean, my inclination was to be um, 
unhappy. And on the other hand, when my sandwich finally emerged, I was just very pleased. And look, I whether you work at in any position at a, a restaurant, including a quick serve restaurant or whatever, or or the manager, I I certainly I certainly can appreciate. It's not all fun and games. So I, I even though that was probably my longest wait ever for a chicken sandwich, I, I, I restrained myself from saying anything at all. I mean, just thank you um, for the sandwich. And my guess is the next time I go there, it's, it's probably going to be a more normal wait. Normally it's whatever, probably a minute, maybe not even I that. Have, I got two more stories for you. They're real quick. Number two, if best sandwich ever, is the Italian chicken and Parmesan that they have now at Burger King. It's the same chicken. Oh, I remember with, having one of those, yes. Yeah, with marinara sauce and cheese and Parmesan on it. That's the second best. But you can make those at home, too, when they're not on, you know, because they're iffy like the uh, McRibs. But uh, you can make those at home, too. And the second is the worst day ever that I was at. I was over in Vestal where the, all the students came for lunch, and one of the managers pushed a button in the back thinking she was turning off the outdoor lights because it was a dreary day, and she shut everything down, broiler, fryer, everything. And it was lunchtime, and they put me on cash on the window, and I had to tell everybody that the only thing we have right now are salads. <laughs> That was bad. Oh, I just got a, a, an urgent note on Twitter for you. Uh, oh. Dave from Binghamton asked, could, you, uh, could I ask you if you have any pictures of the gazebo? The Oakdale Mall Memories Group on Facebook is longing to see it again. Do you happen to have any pictures? No, or, I yeah. don't. I'm sorry, I don't. Oh, because I don't uh, even remember person, it. The person that might is uh, Nancy Phillips. Art Phillips was the manager. Right, well, Nancy she, Phillips had been... Yeah, overseeing the mall's operations for for a long time. Yeah, I don't know if she has any pictures. She might, or she destroyed them all. I I doubt it. I I, the best thing she ever did was that sandcastle one year at Center Court. Well, I remember that, but I don't remember the gazebo for the the Burger King. Yeah, Hmm. it was a yeah. Right in the center was a gazebo you walked up into. The owner. Uh, it was Bartlett Enterprises, and the owner, Mr. Bartlett, took that gazebo and put it in his backyard when they redid the store. Really? Yep. That's why I come to this program every day, because I learn things that I otherwise would, would never know. <laughs> Elaine, well, thank I'd you. To get a, I'd love to get a hold of your uh, your uh, Friday morning guy and talk about the, the mall, because I've got stories you wouldn't Well, <laughs> let's... Let's make it a date. He'll be back. Let's see. He will be back on March 10th. So Jerry Smith, his March appearance is March 10th okay. uh, from 10 to 11. Put that on your calendar and call in. Maybe maybe we'll make that episode our special Oakdale Mall episode. Because, oh, see, I didn't be until Dave from Binghamton... Uh, made reference i didn't realize i'm not surprised that it exists i just didn't know there was an oakdale mall memories group on facebook Mm -hmm. so if it's good enough for facebook well then it's good enough for me so let's 
let's uh, sort of tentatively plan sort of Oakdale Mall memories with Jerry Smith on, on March 10th. I bet if you call, I bet we're going to get a lot of people calling about the memories. Oh, definitely. Because uh, have you My seen that place? The place it, now, today, oh. it's totally unrecognizable. It is. It is. I mean, the other thing has been that has a new uh, a new lease on life. You know, yeah, I, if um, if somebody had asked me two or three years ago what the um, what the long term or even short term prognosis was for the Oakdale Mall, I would say, I don't know. Maybe maybe Gork Construction can you know use it for I training. Can't, I can't get any answer. What those two buildings out front, where you know where Macy's was. They put built two buildings. Well, I, I think one is Chipotle and the other is Panera Bread, I believe. Oh, okay. Because I heard, had heard that old, old, old Whole Foods is going to be up there somewhere. Well, you never know. They're due. Yeah. They're due to enter the market. Well, I mean, I'll keep and, that and in mind. yeah, I mean, people okay. people want Whole Foods because people want to pay a lot of money for their food. So then, then I can share my story of the streaker that ran right through the center court. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Um, thank you so much for your call. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> 11.23. Yeah. See, I was lucky because the only reason I did that is back in the day, nobody had cameras on their phones. So I knew I could get away with it. And now I can talk about it because the statute of limitations... I believe has expired. Hi, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Hey, Bob. It's Gary again. And uh, sorry, but the reason that I'm calling, I know that you've been on the air and stuff. And I just happened to go on my iPad and I looked and I see that somebody rushed Peyton Gendron, the Buffalo shooter, in the courtroom. Well, I've been keeping an eye. Occasionally, the the, uh, the cable channel Spectrum is is running. A live feed of of the proceedings, which are continuing right now. The judge Susan Egan is speaking. Uh, I believe the session of of relatives and others uh, who were speaking uh, before the the sentence of life in prison is officially uh, handed down to Peyton Gendron. I I uh, have been keeping kind of a watch. I know. I did see about you didn't 50, see the rush? I didn't see it. I saw we'll say about 20 minutes ago I looked up and they had gone back to the studio and it said that the uh, sentencing hearing had been interrupted by a disturbance in the courtroom. So I didn't yeah. I didn't see what the uh what the commotion was about, but uh, so I knew something something had happened. Yeah. Possibly a family member, right? I mean, the motion, right? This guy just did to that community. And here's the thing, and I'm going to say something that right at the outset, I'll just acknowledge. This is going to be unpopular to say, but I, I feel compelled to say it because about five minutes ago, as... It may have been one of the prosecutors. I don't know if it was the Erie County District Attorney or someone involved in the prosecution of Peyton Gendron was about to speak, and he was going to make a statement for family members and others who, for whatever reason, could not speak in the courtroom today. Some couldn't be there. Some just didn't want to be because they didn't want to relive what happened last May. 
But uh, as he was speaking, the uh, TV feed, which I'm sure is a pool feed, uh, showed a close-up of Peyton Gendron's face. And I think it lingered on on his face for probably 15, maybe as long as 30 seconds. And, again, this is not popular saying. I, in, in that moment, seeing Peyton Gendron, who's now 19 and who graduated from Susquehanna Valley High School uh, less than two years ago, I felt sorry for him. Now, I wonder if he has any remorse. I don't know. I, and I don't know... Again, the proceeding is continuing at this point. The judge is still speaking. So I don't know if he is now going to have a chance to speak. I believe the reports, news reports from a few days ago indicated that Peyton Gendron Gendron was uh, planning to make some type of apology. I mean, he during this proceeding, I I'm sure the judge will give him the opportunity. And I'll be very interested. Obviously, nothing he says will change what he did at the top supermarket last May. Those people will never come back. Their families will never be the same. Buffalo will never be the same. The top supermarket on Jefferson Avenue on Buffalo's west side is never going to be the same. So many people's lives were changed forever because of what he did. So it doesn't, on one level, it doesn't make any difference what he says today before he's sentenced to life in prison. But, but, I, I would hope, I would hope to hear him show some real remorse and real contrition. I mean, it's not, at this point, it's not going to. It I will not agree. help him. It, it nothing can help him. No. And the fact is, he, there's still a real possibility he could wind up getting the death penalty because he still faces federal charges, and the Department of Justice hasn't decided yet whether it would pursue the death penalty uh, for the the federal prosecution. But do you do you feel sorry for him because? The generation he's growing up in, you know, you can easily get misled by going online and getting caught up in them groups and, you know, all of that stuff that can go on online and, and you, you just get focused on it because maybe you're not getting attention. But, Bob, back in the day, we had the same things going on. Maybe they weren't online and stuff, but you knew what was right and what was wrong. And you wouldn't want to go to those rooms because there's the only thing that can lead to trouble. The hatred, you know that there's hatred there. You go, you know, so why do you feel sorry? Why did you feel sorry for him? Just looking at him and thinking that Mm -hmm. he he looks so young, he has a baby face. You know, again, Mm -hmm. in, in that moment on live TV, looking at him in the courtroom, he looked innocent. I know he's guilty. I know he's guilty of one of the most heinous crimes in the history of New York State and and perhaps in the history of Broome County, of all the people who've ever grown up in Broome County, he may have perpetrated the most heinous thing that comes to mind. And yet looking at him, because, look, I know I've known so many people his age, either 17, 18, 19, and in some ways, 
you look at them and you want to ask, where did we go wrong? I mean, I'm not, I'm not blaming myself for what he as did. As a society. Yes, as a society. I'm not blaming myself. I'm not blaming his parents. I'm not blaming the schools. I'm not blaming the church that I believe he attended. I'm not blaming anyone, but I still ask the bigger question of where, as a society, that we failed. Because it seems maybe to me. Maybe we didn't. Well, maybe, maybe we, didn't. we didn't. I don't know. I, I really right. don't know. It's complicated, and there's so many very. questions and very few answers. Yeah. Appreciate your call. Yeah. Okay, bye. Thanks. I don't have an answer. I don't even know all the questions. It's here we are. Whatever, nine nine months later. Still can't really process what happened. Or understand. I know the information that's been made public, and I know there's a lot of information involving him that has yet to be made public, and maybe some stuff that authorities will always keep secret, which I don't think they should do. I think I think after everything is wrapped up, once the, obviously today, the state sentencing will be completed, but the federal prosecution will go forward after all the prosecutions are wrapped up, I think then it's time for everyone, all local, state, and federal authorities to release all the information that they gathered. It certainly won't change a thing. Those people were lost forever in those moments inside the supermarket on a Saturday afternoon in May 2022. But maybe some of the information that the investigators have discovered, maybe it ultimately could be used to try to prevent such terrible tragedies in the future. I'm Bob Joseph. This is WNBF. Bob Joseph live on a Wednesday morning. This is WNBF 58 in downtown Binghamton. And the temperature is going to continue to rise, they say. In fact, the forecasters have uh, now 
adjusted the projected high to almost 65. Here's the current forecast from the National Weather Service. Sunny this afternoon, high 64, partly cloudy tonight, low 41, mostly cloudy tomorrow. Showers likely in the afternoon, high 56. Cloudy Friday with a chance of rain and snow showers in the morning, some snow showers in the afternoon, and the high Friday, 45. So there's no word, no suggestion of real snow accumulation Friday. It's just sort of proving it still is February, that snow showers and forecast. If you are trying to make some plans for the weekend, the extended outlook, sunny Saturday, 40. Partly sunny Sunday, 47. Right now, here in downtown Binghamton, it is 58 at News Radio, WNBF, WNBF.com. There is good news today. The uh, reporter, the reporter who inexplicably was arrested during the news conference by an Ohio governor, the reporter uh, has just received news that the charges against him have been dropped. Well, okay, that's good. That's really good. Actually, let's uh, let's listen to how it was reported first by News Nation. Evan Lambert is a reporter for News Nation, and he was arrested during that spectacular news conference in Ohio a few days ago. Well, this is how a short time ago News Nation reported that the charges against their employee have now been dropped. And let's see if we can get this, because it's just one of those things. Why Why on earth in the United States of America did we have to witness that spectacle? All right, we have some breaking news to pass along to you. Uh, this just into the News Nation ro- newsroom. The charges against News Nation correspondent Evan Lambert following his arrest last week in Ohio covering a press conference, have now been dropped. Uh, This is from the Attorney General Dave Yost in Ohio, announcing that the criminal charges filed against Evan have been dismissed. A special prosecutor's section was appointed in that county to look over the incident and Evan's arrest. He was later released that night, but faced a charge of criminal trespassing and also disorderly conduct. Uh, This is a quote from the Attorney General in the state of Ohio. He says, my office office has reviewed the relevant video and documentary evidence and is dismissing the charges against Evan Lambert as unsupported by sufficient evidence. Now, I want to know what is going to happen to the law enforcement people who were involved in that debacle. That's what I want to find out. I I saw the body cam, at least one body cam Video They released about nine minutes. Uh, first minute and a half, for some reason, they didn't have the microphone activated. But uh, I saw, saw no reason why any reporter at a news conference about a train derailment, why any reporter should have been arrested. He was doing a live shot during a newscast. I believe it was a 5.15 p.m. live shot to report to people in Ohio and Pennsylvania what was going on with the train derailment and the potential health and safety concerns for the community. So I want to know, 
what will happen to the law enforcement personnel who did that to Evan Lambert. Personally, I think each of them, at at a minimum, each of them individually, owe him a major apology. I don't know what else should happen to him. Maybe retraining. I know, some people are saying, but they're the police. When the police tell you to do something, you do it. Yeah, they told him. They told him, get out of here. I'm paraphrasing. I don't have the exact transcript. Get out of here. Do you want to be arrested? Get out of here. I'm embellishing a little bit, but not much. He was at a news conference about a major public safety issue in that small town in Ohio. Well, fortunately, the charges have been dropped. I don't think the issue should be dropped. I think there is an opportunity for some people to learn something about the United States right here and right now. I'm Bob Joseph. It's 1142. But then that's just my opinion on WNBF. Your Seven forty-five. Bob Joseph live, WNBF, and back to the phones. Vinny from Binghamton. Good morning. You're on the air. Yes. Good morning, Bob. You know, I wanted to call in earlier in the week, but I wanted to find out more about this um, young girl who uh, committed suicide down there in New Jersey. The fourteen-year-old. And um, you know, it it it's it's just something. How this is what I was talking to you about a couple weeks ago about the schools and what they have to deal with. Now I see where the superintendent um, uh, resigned. I saw the reporters interviewing the, the, um, the kids, you know, there were some kids that were very close to her and talking about her and crying. And I saw the reporter interview the, um, uh, all the other kids that had their signs and protests. I, I saw them interview a kid who said this has been going on for a long time, the bullying there. Interviewed the father. saw the sister and the uh, brother on TV talking about what happened. But there's one group that I did not see get interviewed, and that was the parents of these four kids. And that's one of the biggest problems right there. You know, my school that I grew up in, graduated in 1981, it has cops in there now. I went to that school forever. And now talking to my my best friend who lives down in that area, he goes, you know, we got cops in the school now? I said, you've got to be kidding me. He goes, Vinny, remember when we went to school? You know, we had a lot of, we had a few uh, undisciplined kids that came to our school. They got punished. And he goes, they've got triple that now. I said, well, you know, a lot of that has to be everything. When it comes to um, 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 uh, the welfare, when it comes to um, uh, all these other things, it always starts in the home. The majority of the time, it starts in the home. And now we've got more. And that's one of these problems we have. To, we've got to face this. 
because this, this, we've got to go in. If we can pack in schools across this country, if we can pack these board meetings in school because of something that's not even being taught in the school, that's critical race theory, we have got to pack these schools and talk about what are you doing about these undisciplined kids that are coming in to school. And we know we've got them because we got a cop right over there that patrols the halls. So you school people don't get school, uh, don't get um, um, sued. We got a problem, Bob, and it's not going to be solved by moving away, yelling at each other. These school board meetings is about what are the schools doing? We've got to back these schools. We've got to get these undisciplined kids disciplined, or they have to be gone. We've got to do something because this this is sad. This suicide, and that's the other part. I just don't understand. I've been reading where suicide, it's very complicated. But my God, this young girl has the rest of her life, man. She looks like a sweet girl. And to come to find her in a dead in the, her closet. It's just, I, I just can't imagine having kids of my own. I well, can't and imagine. there are cases very similar closer to home that are going unreported yeah. right now in Broome County. But... And, yeah. and school officials are aware, police officials are aware, parents are aware, students are aware, and it's not being reported. Some of what happens in Broome and Tioga counties ought to be on the national news as well, but it isn't. Well, you know what, Bob? Let me say this. Maybe this is because it happened in Buffalo and it didn't happen at SV schools. Yep. That's part of it. That's part of it. You know, where things happen... Where things actually happen, it dictates how some stories receive coverage. Some stories, and I could point to several stories that have happened around here. If they had happened elsewhere, they would have become big national or even big international stories. Because they've happened right here in Broome County. They barely become a regional story for a short time. Some things that, if they happened in the New York City metro area, within a 75-mile radius of New York City, 75-mile radius of Chicago, Miami, Los Angeles, Dallas, they would have become big, big stories. Denver, a lot of the stuff, even things that have happened in Broome and Tioga counties over the last three months, they could have been national stories. They could have gone global. And they haven't. Part of it is because Binghamton and Owego are not big places. Part of it is we don't have sufficient journalism either. It's a variety of factors that contribute. It's 11.50. This is Bob Joseph telling it as I see it on WNBF. It's a beautiful morning. Ah, I think I'll go outside for a while and just smile. Just taking some clean, fresh air. Oh, if the weather's fine and you got the time, it's your chance to wake up. 
754. Bob Joseph live at News Radio, WNBF 921 FM. 1290 AM and streaming at WNBF.com. You can always be connected with your favorite station by using the free WNBF app. So whether you're in Appalachian or I don't know. I could list a whole bunch of places. Whether you're in Appalachian or Birmingham. I don't know. I'm just going to list a whole bunch of places. But anyway, wherever you are, WNBF is there for you. On the app, yes, it's free. And you can listen to it, even if you normally listen to us on 92.1 FM or 1290 AM. If you prefer the um, delightful app, feel free, even if you're local, because it does sound good uh, wherever you are. I could say Appalachian or Albany. Or Battle Creek. There, that's where they make the cereal. There's just so many places we could name where you could be listening to WNBF right now using the app or WNBF.com. Here's a traffic note in Tioga County. The sheriff's office has just revealed via Twitter that Route 38 is closed between Wilson Creek Road and Brown Road. Again, this is a closure of Route 38 in Tioga County between Wilson Creek Road and Brown Road because of a crash. So, be advised. And, of course, stay tuned to WNBF throughout the day for news information, local and regional news, as well as the ABC National and World Updates. And for the very best information online, check out our website, WNBF.com. I'm Bob Joseph, thanking you for joining us on this Wednesday morning. I hope you have a chance to... Get outside this afternoon and enjoy the fabulous February weather. We'll be back tomorrow morning from 9 to noon right here on News Radio WNBF. Uncle Sam.